ask your neighbor this morning, are you gifted? And you can answer your neighbor, yes, I am. Yes, I am. If you were to Google gifted, it means having exceptional talent or a natural spiritual ability. Now, my title this morning is Fruity Pebbles. And I don't know if any of you as a kid enjoyed these. I know I did. Anything sugary, sweet, not good for you. That's what I had all the time, right? Fruity Pebbles. I don't know if any of you as adults enjoy these as well. But my title is called Fruity Pebbles. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 4 this morning. And it says, Just as our bodies have many parts, <clears throat> each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Verse 6, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. If God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given to you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift of showing kindness, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. That's such a fun word right there. Enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope and be patient in trouble and keep on praying. If you were to ask yourself, am I a prophet? A prophet is someone who, sometimes we think of prophets as people who are only speaking a word about the future, but it's also someone who speaks a message from God. And I think sometimes we don't understand this gift that God may give us an internal feeling, a word, and, and we don't know how to process and we don't know what to do with that. A message from God. Prophets are bold and they are very articulate with their words. Teachers. People who are clear thinkers, teaching to study the Word of God, teaching what God wants us to do. Encouragement is a gift, cheerful, uplifting. And how many of us would love to surround ourselves with encouraging people? Cheerful, uplifting, to follow, to teach, to follow. Encouragement there also shows to, to help each other follow the path that God has given to us. Givers, obviously, we know what a giver is, someone who's generous, trusting in God, or defined Kim Weigel. Leaders, we know that they are good organizers and managers. Kindness, caring people. How many of us love kind people who give up time, energy, money, always to help? Paul describes the body. And he says, like the body needs every single part to function. How many of us know this morning that you need every part of you to function? This morning to get out of bed, most of you, we got onto our two feet, right? We walked. How many of us used our hands maybe to make coffee, get dressed this morning? We needed our eyes to be able to see where we're going. We needed our brains to kind of be the control the module telling us what to do, where to go, put everything together. And Paul said, just as a body, the body needs every part to work together, he says, so does the church. And the church needs every part to work together, every part working together. Prophets, people who speak words about the future, but messages from God. Teachers who are clear thinkers, teaching to study the word of God encouragers, people who are cheerful and uplifting, encouraging one another to follow what God wants us to do, people who give generously, trusting in God, leadership to organize, to manage, kindness, caring people, giving up time, energy, and money to help. The body. How many of us know that if the body is not functioning well, we become sick, right? How many of us know when, when our immune system gets damaged or wore out a little bit, we can become a little ill? The body, Paul said, the body of Jesus Christ becomes the exact same way. 
when we don't work together, when we don't know our own part, it is best when we learn to work together. Jesus being the head of the church, kind of like the brain is the head of the body, leading, directing, guiding. And as Paul's describing this, he's saying, as the body of Christ, we have so many different parts and so many different gifts, but we must learn to be united and be different. So turn to your neighbor and say, be united and be different. We know that our gifts, number one, they're for God, they're for the church, they're to build up the church. Number two, we understand that the church is not going to be healthy unless every part does what they're supposed to do. Number three, we should understand that we shouldn't look at other people's gifts, but we should just work and focus on our gift. Number four, we should move wholeheartedly with our gift, leaving all things to God. You know, one of the things I read in, in the offering verse this morning was Galatians 6.4. And as Paul was speaking this, he says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anybody else. We have as people, and this is, this is what I love about human nature, in, in the 7 billion people who are here, how many of us have ever compared ourselves with one person just one time? How many of us have ever looked at someone and said, I wish I was like that. I wish I could do that. I wish I could have what they have. Paul speaking, he says, listen, pay attention to your own work because then you're going to get the satisfaction of a job well done. If we all focus on just what God has put me here to do with all of our heart, then we're going to walk away happy. But if we don't give our whole heart what God has given us to do, then we get stuck comparing ourselves with other people. When we give our best, when I work extremely hard, most of you know that I sell food to restaurants, and I can tell you there are weeks where I put my roller skates on and I just kind of skate through the week. And at the end of the week, I'm like, boy, I didn't try very hard this week, right? And there's other times where I'm hitting the pavement. I'm pounding the pavement. I'm trying to hit as many prospects as I can. And at the end of the week, I'm like, ah, that felt good. I worked hard, right? I put the time in. And it's no different with being a Christian. It's what Paul is saying right here. If we each, as a body, focus on our part and not just giving, ooh, this much, but if I give my whole heart to do my part, what God asked me to do, then at the end of the day, I know I'm going to be happy and satisfied because I gave my whole heart to what, he gave me to do, what he's given me to do. But if I don't give my whole heart, what did Paul say? We're stuck comparing ourselves to other people. And there's how many, how many of us, honestly, get stuck in this mode, constantly comparing, constantly, constantly thinking, well, I can do better than that person. I can do better than this person. I can be better than that leader. I can be better than this person. I'm a better singer than them. I'm a better dancer than them, right? I don't know if we have any dancers in here, but I, I can do that better, right? How many of us think, how easy is it for us to get so distracted in our heads with our time? How easy is it just to become so distracted with whether it's being jealous, insecure, or comparing, instead of just doing the job that God has put us here to do, to encourage, to motivate every one of us to be ourselves, to use our gifts, to be united for the purpose that God has given us to do and hear and be. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. Your life, it's not a mistake. There is a reason God created you and put you together on this planet. And honestly, at the end of the day, to understand that what God's given me, he's given the opportunity to produce. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are a producer this morning. Because we all produce something. Every one of us, we all produce something. What we put inside of us, it comes back out. And so we all produce something. The question is, what are we producing? So with that, if you have your Bibles, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. 
To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and then the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked so good, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here, I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. When he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love, compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Verse 22. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found and the party began. And so this morning, I want to, I want to talk about this story and I want to talk about it in the fact and the picture of the difference between the son and the father. And you see the son, we know the son in, in this story comes to his dad and says, Dad, I'd like my share of the inheritance. Now, as the younger son, he kind of got the bum deal because back then, if you were the younger son, you got one-third, and the older brother, his older brother, got two-thirds of the inheritance. So the oldest son in the house would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third of the inheritance. But regardless... He still was going to get inheritance one day. But instead of waiting for daddy to die, he comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Basically slapping his dad in the face. Basically stating, Dad, I don't really care if you're alive or dead. I just want your money. I just want your money. What was going on in the mind of this son? Was he tired of rules, regulations? Was he tired of his dad's religion? How did he become so arrogant and kind of have a disregard for his son? I think that in his young life, he probably spent a lot of his days looking outside, looking on the outside, looking outside of the house, looking past the fence, listening, watching what everybody else was doing. I think at some point for this young man, he started to say, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like whatever's going on out there is better than what's going on here. And at some point, he started to take for granted the comfort, the security, the protection, the provision that his dad had given to him. For this son, he allowed his heart to become rebellious, mean, angry, even a little hurtful. Just to think, to tell your dad, I wish you were dead. Can I just get my money? Because I am out of here. Jewish people, as they're hearing this story, there's two things that they're thinking. Males who are listening to this story, they're thinking, this boy needs a good beating. They're, they're thinking, this boy needs some good, hearty discipline, and this boy needs to get his butt beat. Jewish men who are hearing this, they're outraged with the thought of this young person. And what you got to love about Jewish rabbis, the way that they taught, the pictures that they painted, they were very vivid pictures. Jesus, as he was here, he, he painted so vivid pictures. And so the picture that he's painting here is a story that the Jewish people, they're so disgusted with what this young man did. They're so disgusted with what he did, how he lived. They're so disgusted with where he ended up that they're outraged and they're thinking this boy just needed some good discipline maybe dad was too soft you ever heard that maybe dad was way too soft on him and he didn't have the discipline maybe daddy was too much of a nice guy 
Maybe, being the younger boy, he was the spoiled brat. He was the, he was the spoiled baby. He was the baby of the family, so he got whatever he wanted. He just needs a good beating. He needs a good beating. It said that many teachers, as they taught stories and parables at this time, most of them would have stopped right there. Most of them would have stopped with what happened with the beginning part of the boy and, and at the end where the famine was and that he was stuck feeding pigs and wanting to eat pig's food. It said that many uh, teachers, rabbis, would have stopped right there. That, that's the only point they wanted to make. The only point they wanted to make from that story, as you're hearing it, is that if you follow God, you're going to be good. If you don't follow God, you're going to end up wanting to eat pig food. But Jesus, being who Jesus was, what did he do? He painted a picture of a son, but he also painted the picture of the father. Turn to your neighbor and say, ah, the father. Jesus, he gives us such a clear picture into who God the father is. Jesus gives us such a powerful description of who our God is. Our Heavenly Father, who number one, He gave an inheritance when He didn't have to. God gave us the world when He didn't have to. God gave the Son for us. Did He really have to? God gave this Son in the story, the Father, His inheritance when He did not have to. So to understand the Father, to understand our Heavenly Father is a giver. God gives. God gave. Even when the Son didn't deserve it. And even when we don't deserve it, God gives. The Heavenly Father, pictured in this story, says He watched daily for His Son. He watched every single day for His Son. For the return, He waited. He waited and He watched. And how many of us know I don't know about you, but it's really extremely difficult to sit and wait and watch. If you ever had to, you know, get picked up from somebody, when you're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. Imagine being the father waiting every single day patiently for this son to come back home. He believed, he hoped that his son would be back. He had the patience. Our Heavenly Father pictured here is someone who watches and waits for the return. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, as the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. The Lord isn't being slow, but He's being patient because He doesn't want people to be destroyed. He wants people to go to heaven. God could come back right now, and God could take every single believer with Him, but how many people would be left? How many people would be left? God isn't being slow. He's being patient. As being pictured in this story is the Heavenly Father who watched and waited patiently for His Son. Thirdly, it pictures the Heavenly Father. This man, when he saw his son, what did he do? It says he ran to his son. In the language there, it says that Jewish men, they don't run. Older Jewish men, they do not run. And so for this man to see his son and run, the word is described as he's undignified. He's looking, he's embarrassing himself. He's humbling himself. He's willing to look foolish. Why is this older man running? Why is he willing to be undignified? Why is he willing to be embarrassed? Why is he willing to humble himself? Why is he willing to lay down his pride? Because his son came home. Seeing his son came home was greater than the embarrassment of what he looked like running. Now, let's be honest this morning. If some of us in here run this morning, we ain't gonna look so pretty, right? Now, some of us, we still got it together. We're all professional joggers. But it could be a little embarrassing. 
But for Jewish men, you don't run. You don't run. It's undignified. I'm a Jewish adult male. I don't need to run. So he's willing to be embarrassed. He's willing to humble himself. He's willing to look foolish because of something that he sees is greater, greater. What he sees is greater than what other people say about him. God, our Father, this is one of the greatest things that is pictured about our Heavenly Father. What he gave, what he sacrificed, do we see the picture and understand? Jesus gave it all. Jesus died on a cross. But what led up to that day? What led up to that moment? What was every little thing and ounce that he was willing to go through as he got to that cross? I got to imagine that if I'm God and I'm being whipped and beaten, that's probably embarrassing as well and, and pain, right? If you're getting whipped 39 times with that metal spike that digs into your skin and they pull it out, I'm being forced to carry this heavy wood beam. He's not doing it for himself. He's not doing it because, hey, I need to prove that I'm a man, right? How many of us men have done things? got to prove that I'm a man, right? i got to prove that I'm a guy. Jesus wasn't doing that because he had to prove something. Jesus went through so many painful, hurtful things, no matter what it looked like, being made fun of, being spit on, being mocked so that he could become the sacrifice that takes away my sin. In this picture, in this story, the parable that God's talking, Jesus is sharing, the, the parable of the lost son, he's describing the heavenly father and everything that the heavenly father is willing to do, even make himself look stupid to see us, to see our friends, to see our family come home. You know, sometimes, you know, it, we have to ask ourselves, does my pride stop me from doing what God wants me to do? Am I, am I not willing to look and maybe be a little embarrassed? Sometimes maybe not asking that question. Maybe afraid to raise the hand and say, man, I really got this question. I really need this. I really could talk to somebody. God pictures himself, the Heavenly Father, undignified. And so as we look at this story this morning, and we're probably wondering, we've been all over the place. We've been in Galatians. We've been in Romans. We've been in Luke. Luke, use the force, right? We've been in Luke. What does this have to do with being gifted? What does it have to do with me this morning? And I'm glad you asked. As you've noticed this morning, I've got a table full of goodies up here, right? Well, goodies, if you enjoy bananas... Strawberries, red grapes, green grapes, cantaloupe, blackberries, blueberries, pineapple. Even got a little whole milk right here. Some oranges. Lastly, fruity pebbles, but we're going to save that to the very end. And did all of you get an orange this morning or a mandarin? Good. You're going to hold on to that for a second. The picture in this story we see a son and a father, both of them were reflecting what was going on on the inside. The son, hurt, lost, broken, confused, mad, angry, and so he left. He was rebellious, and he walked out on his family. And in his rebellion, he spent all the money that he had, and he lost everything. Now, luckily, Jesus, he wasn't telling a sad story, right? Because we know that at the end of the story, the son asked for forgiveness, and he goes home. It's a happy ending. Don't we love happy stories? Don't we love all those things work out? And so for this story, we see that it does work out, that this young man, he does, he sees, he made a mistake, and he goes back home, and he asks his dad for forgiveness, and he makes it right. They make it right with each other, and he asks for forgiveness. He says, Dad, I'm a sinner. Dad, I messed up. I sinned against God. I sinned against you. Dad, forgive me. God, forgive me. And so the young man in the story, even though he had bad fruit, even though it was a reflection that he had horrible things in his heart, it's a good story because at the end of the day, he repented and things were made right. 
And the sad thing is, is how many of us know that no matter how patient God is, at some point when he does return, there's going to be people that just aren't going to make it. And the sad thing in this story is this is a happy ending story, but we know that at the end of the world, at some point, there's people who aren't going to make it. How many of us know stubborn, thick-headed people? How many of us know prideful, stubborn, thick-headed people that just cannot admit they are wrong? And so for the young boy in this story, he humbled himself as well, and he got his heart right, and he turned his life around because he realized, I've made bad choices. I took for granted my heavenly father. I took for granted my dad, who was a good dad. And I took it for granted. And I took him for granted. And on the other side of the coin, you see the heavenly father, the, the dad that's pictured, is the reflection of him. And what was the reflection that he painted through the whole story? Giving, loving, caring, patient, kind, and what did he do for the son at the very, very end? As soon as he saw him, as soon as he saw his son, go get the best robe in the house, which was whose robe? It was his robe. Put it on, my son. He didn't tell his son, you need to go take a bath and a shower because you smell like pig poop, which all of us, come on, let's be honest, we would have done that. I'm not touching you until you clean up first, right? The heavenly father, what did he do? He said, go get the best robe because my son deserves my very best. What is best, what is most sacred to me, I'm giving and I'm passing on to my son. See the picture of the heavenly father that he only has his best. His interests are the best for us. And that doesn't mean that, you know, God's just waiting for every one of us to hit the lotto and become you know, millionaires, right? But as the son came home, he gave his very best robe, the nicest thing that he had cherished, my nice robe, I'm giving to my son. He didn't ask him to clean up. And then he gave him a ring for authority. And then he gave him sandals because if you were not a son in the family, you had no shoes. If you were not a son, if you were not part of the family, you walked around barefoot. Once in a while, it's great to walk around barefoot, right? But how many of us have become used to our shoes? How many of us have become used to having shoes or flip-flops or things on, right? We get used to it. Imagine back in the old day. If you weren't part of the family and you were just to work around the house, you had no shoes unless the guy who ran the house was nice. And so instantly he was given the best robe of the house, his dad's. He was given authority. He instantly had authority to be a son, to make decisions, to have power again. And then his dad said, you are my son. And why did he say that you're my son? Because when the son came back, what did he say? I'm not worthy to be your son. He goes, I'm not worthy to be your son. I screwed up. I'm not worthy. Dad, if you could just let me be like one of your hired employees around here, I'm happy with that. Dad, I screwed up. I made a lot of bad choices. I've wasted a lot of my life. I've wasted a lot of money. Man, I wasted so much energy. Dad, I am not worthy. I don't, even, I don't even think it's right if you call me your son. Dad, forgive me. Dad, I'm sorry. But what does the dad do? Instantly, he gives him shoes and he says, you're my boy. You're my boy. You're my boy. The minute we ask forgiveness for God, it's not this big, long, drawn-out process, right? God says, you ask, you confess your sins, God forgives. And then God forgets as far as the east is from the west. And so this morning, as we see this picture painted of the son, and we see this picture painted of the father, we can see the reflection, the things, the good and the bad, the bad from the son, the good from the father. They were a reflection of what was going on in the inside. And with that, we're going to move on to our closing verses, Galatians, if you have your Bible. We're going to start in Galatians 5, verse 16. Happy football Sunday, by the way. I know it's kickoff Sunday. Of course, football started Thursday as the Lions beat the Chiefs. 
but we look forward to today, see what happens, right? Galatians 5.16, and it says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Your sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces constantly fighting each other. You are not free to carry out your, even your own good intentions. And then we skip down to verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. And so Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And so this morning as we think about love, the first thing that Paul points out, because love is the greatest thing. How many of us know people, young and old, love is everything? Love is everything. How many of us know we as people, we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be alone. We like love. We like to be in love. Everywhere you go, there's love movies. There's love stories. How many of us know love is powerful? The power of love, right? How many of us know that love is powerful? We are designed in such a way to all want love. Every one of us, God created us and designed us with this desire for love. But it's not a love that we can get from each other. Yes, we can be loving. But our kind of love, it's not enough. So Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing is love. The greatest thing in the world that makes it go around. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but if I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, would have gained nothing. Love. Who likes cantaloupe? All right, Bree, you raise your hand first. Come get your cantaloupe. Now, everywhere she goes and everywhere she takes it, she's reminded we brought up love first, right? Love. Secondly, he brings up joy. Joy. Happiness that Paul is speaking about is not tied. It's not linked to circumstances. How many of us as people, life determines happiness. Circumstances determine happiness. How many of us are unbroken, unwavered people that no matter what happens, I'm happy? How many of us know people... And, and you kind of remember the old days and like 15, 20 years ago where, you know, you see it in movies and you see people and it's no matter what happens to somebody, it's, ah, thank you, Jesus, right? Ah, thank you, Jesus. God, the joy that Paul's speaking about, the fruit of the Spirit, it is a joy. There is something, a happiness, that my happiness is not tied to any person nor tied to any circumstance. So no matter what happens in life, no matter what comes my way, the joy that God gives me, it makes me happy. It makes me strong. Go with a little green grapes this morning with joy. Joy. I'm not letting anything or anyone take my joy. Who has, who likes green grapes? Anybody? Come on. Just a little side note, they are not washed. So if your fruit, if you do think that they should be washed for any of these things up here, you would want to do that. 
Thirdly, he mentions peace. Turn your neighbor and say peace. The peace that Paul's describing in there is an, an internal well-being, an internal health. Doesn't that sound good? This peace that Paul's describing is an internal well-being and health, an inner peace that only comes from above. Proverbs 14.30, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. And I'm thinking peace, I'm thinking strawberries this morning. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Strawberries? Now, I haven't touched these, I promise, so they're fine. Just wash them. <laughs> Paul says, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Peace and internal well-being. Next he said patience, huh? That was um, Philippians 4, 6. Patience. <sighs> How many of us have the gift of patience? How many of us get angry quick? That'll tell you if you got it or not. You get angry quick? Patience ain't one of your virtues, right? Feeling blueberries for patience. Patience, a willingness to wait, to carry, to bear the moment. Patience, this willingness to not freak out in the moment, to not be a... To carry burdens, to have endurance, not only for myself, but for other people. Patient, fruit of the Spirit, to be patient. Proverbs 14, 29. People with understanding control their anger, and a hot-tempered person shows great foolishness. Proverbs 16, 32. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to be patient than powerful. We can make so many mistakes, man, if we just freak out. We can make so many mistakes and we can say so many wrong things and do so many wrong things when we let this flesh, this body, our thoughts, our minds, our emotions get the best of us. The fruit, one of the greatest fruits is asking God, fill me with patience. Blueberries, anybody? Blueberries, blueberries? So what, I'm going to leave them up here. First come, first serve. Kindness, to be generous. And kindness, in the word being described here, it says it's a reflection of how God is to us. Ah. Because how many of us know God is kind? God is so giving and God is so loving. So the fruit that Paul's describing when he said kindness, it's a reflection of how God is towards us. Goodness, making everything good and working out for good. Faithfulness, to be loyal, steadfast, unmovable. 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, and instead pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Faithfulness, loyal, steadfast, unmovable. Gentleness requires, to be a gentle person, Man, it requires strength. How do I approach each moment being gentle? How do I know when I should be a beast, beauty and the beast? How do I know when I should be beast mode and when I should be gentle right now and not, not go crazy? Gentleness, requiring strength and approach to each person, each situation. And lastly, self-control, the power to say no. The power to not give in. 
the power to be strong, the power to stand. I am not caving into this self-control. Proverbs 16, 32, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Proverbs 25, 28, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. The last one, and maybe one of the most powerful, self-control. Because how many of us know in our world today, and it's probably because everybody posts stuff, how many of us see it? there's a lot of people who don't have self-control? How many of us can see with what people are posting, what people are doing? It's not hard to find, right? Somebody who doesn't have self-control, it's like a person without city walls, and anyone can come and conquer that city. And how many of us have ever done something because our friends influenced us to do it? We had no self-control. We couldn't say no. We were like a city without walls, and our friends overran us, and so we did something we shouldn't have done. How many of us, whether it's a man or a woman, influenced you to do something you shouldn't want to do, that you didn't want to do, but you did it anyway? No self-control. This morning as we get to our title, Fruity Pebbles, Fruity Pebbles has a number of different colors. Some different tastes inside of here. It's probably all fake, but yeah, there's different tastes. Paul said, you're gifted. You've been given the gifts. God's placed on you. They're not meant for you. They're meant for the body of Christ. To build, to edify, to build up the church. If you've been given that gift to preach, to teach, to encourage, you've been given that gift. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Gifts from above, none of which we could accomplish anything on our own, no matter how good we are, no matter how beautiful or handsome or strong or powerful, we can't do it on our own. And it's kind of like a bowl of cereal. If you were going to have, now there are certain cereals that I could do without milk. But how many of us, we would prefer to have milk with our cereal? Like if I had Cheerios, I can eat Cheerios by itself, it's fine. Fruity Pebbles to me, it's kind of a cereal that you need with some, some milk. What does the milk do? It kind of brings everything together. So as we've been in this thing called gifted, it's to open our eyes to see, to know, to understand, man, I need the milk. I need the very ingredient that's going to bring all the colors, all the differences, all the different pieces together. Man, I am not being someone, as Paul said, the whole purpose for the body of Christ, to be united with our differences, to be united with our differences. We are, let's be honest, the church of Jesus we are like a jealous, judgmental, complaining, backbiting bride. Woo-wee! If we were truly honest, Christians nonstop are talking about other Christians and other people. When God gave us color for a reason, God gave us color for a reason so that we could celebrate each other's differences so that you can honor someone's different than you, so that you can let down your pride for a minute if someone has a better gift than you and you can celebrate their betterness. Sometimes there's gonna be other people, maybe they have a greater calling and they are more gifted and more talented. And it stinks, to be honest with you, right? I wish I was seven foot and can dunk a basketball. I can't, I love basketball. No matter how much I wish that I was seven foot one and that I can block and dunk, I wish God didn't make me that way. <laughs> God didn't make me that way. But, but how many of us honestly, spiritually, we get stuck so easily on other people's colors and differences? God's saying, 
I have the milk for a reason. You need the milk for a reason. What is the milk? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We can't be what God's made us to be without the Holy Spirit. We can't do what God wants us to do. We can't fulfill the commission, our purpose on this earth without the Holy Spirit. But it's a choice that we have to make. It's a choice that we have to decide. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, help me to stop being so judgmental about other people and their gifts and their talents. God, help me to stop being such a complainer and a whiner and a backbiter. God, help me to do what you said, to be someone who creates unity within the body, unity within us. Unity, not only with this church, but with Christians as a whole. There's so many different colors. There's so many different tastes. There's so many different smells in fruity pebbles, just like there is in the church of Jesus Christ. And to ask yourself this morning, as we've been talking about fruit, as we've been talking about gifts, as we've been talking about the reflection of what God's given to us, ask, am I someone who's uniting the body or have I been dividing the body with my words? Am I uniting the body and bringing the body together, edifying, making whole, making healthy, or do I find myself talking about the body? Nothing that we do on our own. Nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. My last verse, and we're going to close with this, Matthew 7, 17. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Every true tree that does not produce good fruits, chopped down, thrown in the fire. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. And so as we wrap up this morning, to understand that everything that we've gone through and everything that's been painted this morning, everything that we've read and everything that we talked about, we know that God wants me to give my very best and stop comparing with other people. God wants me to take the opportunity to be full of his Holy Spirit, to unify the body, to celebrate people's differences, to celebrate, to honor the different gifts that people have, to encourage people with the gifts and talents that they have, to celebrate them, to honor them. We are stronger and we are more powerful when the body of Jesus is together and is whole. What did Paul say? The body is healthy when all the parts work together. What are your part of this body or whatever body you're a part of? It's whole when every part does its job with the best that it can. I believe this morning God put you here. God brought you here for a reason. And I believe this morning that every one of us, we're here for a reason, to understand that I have a part to do something good for God and good for my brothers and good for my sisters. And at the end of the day, every person, every color, every taste, it's important. And how do I help them? How do I bring more milk to every single person? How do I bring more Holy Spirit to every single person? As we started this thing, gifted, which is having exceptional physical or spiritual ability. This morning, we've said it and said it again. I think all of you are gifted. I think all of you are talented. We don't all let it out at the same time. I think that God has given us gifts, talents, and abilities. And sometimes we hold on to those, I'm not letting them out. I'm not doing anything. Having exceptional, exceptional talent, exceptional spiritual, physical ability. But what did Paul say? If you don't give your part, who suffers? Everybody else. Has anybody ever heard of Tom Brady before? Kind of a retired quarterback. Let's say we go back, rewind six years ago. If Tom Brady decides, you know what? I just don't feel like playing football Sunday today. Who suffers? The team, right? What God's put in you he wants it to come out. And if it doesn't come out, who suffers? The team. The team suffers. You are special. You are talented. You're amazing. The purpose that God's put in you. The fruit. 
The fruit. Is it easy for anyone else to display all nine fruits at the same time? I couldn't do all nine at the same time. But if God's Holy Spirit was inside of me, leading, guiding me, filling me, could I? Then yeah, absolutely. Because it's God's Spirit that can make it happen. And so we've been in this series, and we're actually going to end it next Sunday. So turn to your neighbor and say, oh, it's all about soaking in and taking in everything. Needing, recognizing the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, that's what Jesus said. I'm leaving and going away, so why? The Holy Spirit can come and help you. The Holy Spirit, the greatest guide. The Holy Spirit, the greatest teacher. The Holy Spirit, the great empowerer. The Holy Spirit that gives us the fruit. The Holy Spirit that takes the gifts that God has put inside of us and then explodes for the world to see. Not for our glory. Not so that we can get recognized. Not so people can clap at us. But it's so that people can be found. Like the story, and I end with the prodigal son, the story that I shared this morning. The greatest miracle in life is when the prodigal comes home. The greatest miracle and the greatest part of life is when that prodigal, when a lost person finds and realizes, I screwed up. I need to be home. If you have your Mandarin this morning, we're going to take it, we're going to hold it up, we're going to look at our Mandarin and say that fruit's good, right? It's good and it's good for you. And even in these tiny little circles of joy, these bundles of joy, how many little pieces do you get out of there? And you could eat it all yourself. Shoot, we could probably eat like eight or ten each, right? Or you can open it up and you can share and be a reflection of the fruit that God has put in you. This week, go out there and do what God's put you here to do. Be a reflection of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and have self-control. On behalf of me and my wife, Kim, we love you. You're dismissed. Have a beautiful Sunday.